G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. It truly angered me. It didn't annoy me. It angered me so much that we were uh, building some units. And so we're working away there one day and he kept telling me about Jesus. And I was across the other side of the uh, building block and I just became so angry that I thought there's only one way to stop this. And that is that I'm just going to murder him. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well, Shane Cunningham stopped attending high school after year 10 and became a bricklayer. While working, another guy kept telling him that Jesus loved him. This made Shane so angry that one day he couldn't take it anymore and picked up a trowel intent on killing the Christian co-worker. But instead, something remarkable happened that changed the direction of Shane's life. We'll hear the full story today as Shane has a chat with Eric Scanabo. Shane Cunningham, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Great joy to be on here with you. Thank you. Glad to have you with us and you're joining us from your home on the Gold Coast. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, well, we're going to hear the events of that fateful day when you picked up that trowel in anger. But first, let's find out what led up to that day and find out a little bit about your background. Where were you born and raised? Thanks, Eric. I was actually born in a little country town of Queensland called Dolby, about three hours west of Brisbane. Mm -hmm. I was about five years old, and we actually moved from there to another country town called Toowoomba, which I'm sure many of your listeners probably will know of. Oh, yes, of course. That's actually where I did my schooling, uh, had my business, and that's where we initially became born again. Okay, and was faith a part of your life growing up in Toowoomba? Uh, look, in the very early stages, my, my parents were attending the Salvation Army, but by the time I was about seven, we uh, stopped attending there, and, and then for the rest of my teenage years, I, I never attended a church and didn't want to know anything about church. And why was that? Why were you kind of so antagonistic toward Jesus and church? Well, I think I had this concept that that uh, uh, God the Father was was just this old, long-haired, long-bearded guy sitting on a throne, and he had this great big stick ready to just bash me every time I did something wrong. I have no idea where that impression came from, but that's the impression I had of, of what God was like. Okay, so now we're moving toward your teenage years. That's kind of the attitude you had or the view of God that you had. So when this coworker starts saying, Jesus loves you, that kind of explains why you weren't so crazy about it. Oh, look, absolutely. I, I, I understood that if I acknowledged Jesus, I would have to change my lifestyle. And uh, my lifestyle had become one of, of drinking lots of alcohol and and uh, partying and and just uh, what I thought at that time was living a great life. But uh, when you become born again, you realize that it's uh, just not the great life that it's made up to be. Yeah. So let's go back to that time in your life. You're a bricklayer. Uh, tell us yeah. about this, this co-worker that was annoying you. 
Well, this this young guy came to uh, to work for us. Uh, I was working for uh, someone else at that time, so I never employed him. But every day he would come and he would tell me that Jesus loved me. And every day I would use language that uh, now I'm quite ashamed of, mm-hmm. but I would abuse him so much that every afternoon he would go home and uh, he would go home in tears because of the abuse. Oh, wow. And he would um, uh, say to his parents about the abuse that I gave him. And so his parents would pull him aside and say, come on, we're going to, we're going to pray for this young man and we're going to believe God that uh, God is going to impact his life. So they would do that, and then the next morning he would come back all cheery again, tell me Jesus loved me, and I would start to abuse him again. So it kind of went on like that for um, quite a period of time. Yeah, was he telling everybody about Jesus or just you? Oh, no, just me. No, no, he just, like he like God had put a big target on my back and said, there's your one, forget all the rest, but go Oh, wow. Him. Yeah. So he felt compelled to share Jesus with you in particular. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He, he was just absolutely set on talking to me about Jesus, and he just never mentioned Jesus to any of the other uh, people on the construction site at all. Okay, so day after day this is happening. Then yep. what happened? Well, it just, it truly angered me. It didn't annoy me. It angered me so much that we were uh, building some units one day. We were actually doing what is called the base of the house. The concrete was in the, in the uh, ground, and then we would lay the bricks and bring it up to uh, the floor height where they could then put a timber or concrete floor on. Mm-hmm. And so we're working away there one day, and he kept telling me about Jesus, and I was across the other side of the uh, building block, and I just became so angry that I thought there's only one way to stop this, and that is that I'm just going to murder him. Wow, that's kind of drastic. You, you didn't consider changing to a different work site or something? <laughs> um, no, because I was there first. And so if anyone oh. was going, as far as I was concerned, he had to go. Oh, I see. So I picked up my uh, bricklaying trowel. And, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some of your audience don't know what a, a bricklaying trowel is like, but it's a diamond shape. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the tip of it becomes very, very sharp because it's going through sand and cement continuously. Yeah. And I picked that up and uh, walked towards him, and I raised it above my head. I was ready to to, uh, put it in his back and uh, kill him. I did not want to know about this Jesus anymore. And it was at that point there were several miracles that happened, and I, I didn't know they were miracles. I didn't realize what was happening, but I walked towards him, and with my uh, hand up above my head ready to plunge the, the trowel into his back and take his life. And one meter away from him, I froze. I could not move my feet. I could not move my arm. I could not speak. I just froze in that position. And I don't know how long I was in that position for, but I felt the anger on the inside of me starting to disappear and as it started to disappear I found all of a sudden I was released I could move again and so now instead of wanting to to take his life I was still a bit angry I picked up a trowel full of um, of uh, cement and I just plastered him all over the back with that and walked away 
But what I didn't realize was the second thing that was very powerful that happened was that no one else on the building site saw what happened that day. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether they were frozen in time, whether God just blinded them to what happened. I do not know. But not one other person on the building site, and there was a large number of, of people there, mm -hmm. no one saw what was happening that day. Then what happened? Well, he yelled at me and got quite cranky with me because I just put all this cement over his back and I just walked away and uh, the day was kind of over. I went home and, and it took me a long period of time to tell my wife about it because I thought she would be absolutely shocked at, at what I was intending on doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, of course. You would have been shocked. How old were you about at that time? Um, I, at that time, I was almost 21. Mm -hmm. So, uh, still young, still rebellious, uh, been married for uh, almost a year by that time. But a very short time after that, we changed building sites and we were working um, in an area where we were on the side of a mountain building a house. And as I turned around to look down towards the valley, um, I saw Jesus. Now, I'm still not born again. At this point. Yeah, at this point, I'm not born again. Mm -hmm. I'm maybe a little bit less angry, but still not interested. And as I turned around, I saw Jesus. And I can say to you that today, he is more real in what I saw that day than if I was looking at my car or my house or my wife. He was more, still more real today. Wow. And as I looked, I watched Jesus rise up in the air and he got to about a 45-degree angle to me, and God spoke to me louder than I think I've ever heard him before, and he said, Jesus is coming back, and if you don't get right with him, you're going to be left behind. Now, as you can imagine, that shook me to the very core of my being. Yeah. I, 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 just, I was literally shaking. I went home from work that night, and I sat my wife down, and I told her what happened, and she's like, have you been, you've been on drugs? Have you huh. been drinking again, like, like this is crazy what has happened. But as I said, it was, it, it still today, all these years later, is as real to me as that moment that day. I knew it was Jesus. And when God spoke to me, it really put the fear of God in me, I think I could say. Mm -hmm. So we, um, uh, my wife actually became quite, shaken by all of this as well, wondering what is going on here, this man telling my husband about Jesus, loving him, and and seeing a vision of Jesus, and God speaking, and, and so what we decided was that we wanted to know the truth, and mm -hmm. this was such a key factor in us giving our lives to Christ. We made a decision that we wanted to know the truth. Was this real, or, or is this just a hoax? Mm -hmm. So we decided we'd buy a Bible. And so my wife went in to buy a Bible, and I mean, we were so ignorant. What was her background? Uh, my wife's background, again, from just a, a young child, was uh, Church of England. But again, that stopped very early in, mm -hmm. in her life. And so she was like me, just, uh, you know, we our background was we were just sinners. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah. So you get a Bible? Yeah, she went to buy a Bible at, at, a, at a bookstore, and they said, well, what version do you want? And she's like, well, what do you mean, what version? 
they said, you want King James, New King James, you know, <laughs> New International. She's like, I don't know. I just want a Bible that I can read. <laughs> yeah. And so we bought this Bible, and then we decided we'd, we'd make an agreement. I could read the Bible of a morning, and then I could take it to work with me and read it at lunchtime. Now, we're still not Christians. As my wife said, it was the unconverted preaching to the unconverted. <laughs> So I would I would come home and I would start preaching to her and I'm not even a Christian yet. Yeah. And so I'm reading this Bible of a morning and at lunchtime. I didn't care what the guys on the building site thought about me, not interested at all. And then I'd come home the night and I would be so engrossed in it that I would not give her the Bible to read of a night. Oh we'd wow. just just build a house. Um, I was sitting on a beanbag, she was sitting on an old timber fruit packing case. That was our seating. And so I'm sitting on the beanbag uh, reading the Bible. My wife is sitting on this packing case behind me looking over my shoulder and reading the Bible at the same time. Wow, you guys were hungry. We, we were hungry. This, was, this became the key for um, Susan and I to become born again. We really wanted to know the truth. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scanavo is chatting with Shane Cunningham, who's joining us from his home on the Gold Coast and is sharing his life journey with us. We'll hear more of Shane's incredible story and find out the amazing ways that God is using him when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with Shane Cunningham, who's joining us from the Gold Coast and is sharing his life journey. As we heard before the break, Shane and his wife had a tremendous hunger to read the Bible, but still had not surrendered their lives completely to the Lord. Now, we're going to hear what happens next in their lives. Now, before you continue, I'm curious to know the uh, co-worker, the Christian co-worker that annoyed you so much, did you have yeah. a chat with him at all? I didn't chat with him very much, and that I still didn't like him very much, to be quite honest. Oh, okay. We actually went to another uh, country town to build some uh, units. We were staying in the local hotel, and so after work, I would be up at the bar drinking and getting quite drunk. He'd go to bed. And so a number of nights, I would come up, and I would go into his room, and I would reach across him. He was what I thought was asleep, but I would reach across him and take his Bible and go into my room and then try to read the Bible, which was not very successful because I was reasonably drunk. But what I didn't know was that he was actually awake and he was watching me do this. Oh, really? So through that whole process of wanting to know the truth, God just revealed himself to us through the Word, through his Spirit, and so we decided that we needed to give our lives to Christ. We'd seen this thing about confessing Jesus and believing that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Mm -hmm. So for a two-week period, my wife and I, every night before we went to bed, would kneel beside our bed and give our lives to Christ. Every night? Every night 
for two weeks. I mean, this is how ignorant we were about the things of God. And so then we realized that we only needed to do it once. And so I said, you know what, let's do it again tonight just to really make sure. And we did it again that night, just confessing our sins and, and inviting Christ into our life. And the rest has been history for us now. We've, we've been walking with God for so many years now. Did you get involved in a local church after that? Yeah, we did. We went to um, a local church and uh, everybody ignored us. I didn't know whether we should be standing up, sitting down or rolling around on the floor. <laughs> Stood outside the church after the meeting and not one person would talk to us. And so... Why was that? Well, I don't know. We're just newcomers and... They just all ignored us. Hmm. Not a great church growth principle. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Then we decided that because my background many, many years prior was Salvation Army, we decided to go there in the night meeting. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew they had a brass band. I knew they had ladies who paid timbles and all this sort of stuff, but my wife had no concept at all. So by this time, she's about eight months pregnant, uh, a little bit less, maybe seven months pregnant, and we go there. And somehow people recognized me. I, I don't understand how because I'm talking about probably 14 years since I'd seen any of these people. Yeah, you were just a little boy last time you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I obviously kept all my good childish good looks. <laughs> so the, the, the band came out and the band started playing and my wife just cracked up. And so here's a seven-month pregnant woman just, just tears rolling down her face. She's laughing so much. And then when the ladies with the timbrels came out, that, that just completely broke her up. I had to pick her up off the floor. But, you know, I, I was still drinking in that early part of, of our salvation, and, mm -hmm. and I was a very heavy drinker, and, and um, God spoke to me one day, and he said, because you're drinking and you profess to be a Christian, other people might see that, become Christian. And he said that if someone gets drunk and has a car accident and someone's injured, he said, I will hold you responsible as a stumbling block. Mm. So that really shook me again mm. to the core of my being. Yeah. 27th of April, 1979, I had three small beers, put the last one down and said, oh, I'm never doing that again. And now in, um, in 42 years, there's only been one time I've touched alcohol and that's when I was preaching in Europe and we had communion and I just thought, well, it'll be grape juice like Australia but Europe have real wine, and I, I had a very small communion glass of real wine, the only alcohol I've touched in all of those years. Oh, wow. So your life is changing. You're starting to grow as a Christian at this point? Oh, absolutely. Phenomenally. I, I was very, very bad-mouthed. I, I mean, I, I could swear with the best of them. Oh, it was it was just terrible. My language mm -hmm. was, was absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. But I went to bed one night, uh, swearing. I woke up the next morning and God had delivered me from swearing. So much so that that day when I went to the building site and other people around me were swearing, uh, I was absolutely abhorred by it. I, I just felt horrible being near people who swore, but yet mm. I was worse than all of them the day before. And wow. so God absolutely totally delivered me from that overnight i did not even ask him to do that that's something that that he was very kind in doing for me was just totally delivering me overnight now unfortunately we're running out of time but eventually the lord calls you into ministry is that right 
Yes, he did. Yeah, he called me to be a pastor and and uh, just celebrated 35 years of being in full-time ministry just in April of this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had the joy of pioneering five churches, um, do a, a quite a lot of work overseas in different nations, uh, raising up pastors and mentoring pastors and, and loving everything we put our hand to. Well, I was going to ask you, what are you passionate about these days? Well, I'm still passionate about Jesus as number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm passionate about my wife. And uh, 45 years of marriage this coming December, and but I'm absolutely passionate about pastors and the church, mm-hmm. and uh, I I love pastors, getting beside them, encouraging them, speaking into their life, and just being a, a great friend to to pastors as they struggle out there on the field. Now you said you're involved overseas. Tell us more about that, please. Well, quite a number of years ago now, uh, the Spirit of God started to open up. Um, uh, Asia for us, uh, especially into the Philippines, into Cambodia, Vietnam, as well into Thailand. And uh, those doors just continued to open for us. And so uh, we've just been walking through them, building relationships with denominations. We, we have the great joy of mentoring uh, pastors there. That uh, One pastor has 230 churches under his care. Mm-hmm. Another pastor has the largest Bible college in the nation and plus quite a number of churches. And, and we just get the absolute honor to be able to be mentoring these pastors. It's it's not about what my church has done, it's about the anointing that God just um, decided to put upon our lives to do that. We, we actually have a church in Johannesburg in, um, in South Africa that is uh, under our covering as well. And as you mentioned, you're also encouraging pastors in your local area? Yeah, we have the opportunity every month we, uh, we gather the pastors in our local area here in the Gold Coast, the northern part of the Gold Coast, and uh, we build uh, strong relationships together. We uh, pray for uh, our churches. We pray for our people of the city and the nation. And and that's just been such a great joy to to uh, spend time together with pastors, leaders of different groups, uh, such as Gideon's and Bible mm-hmm. League, mm-hmm. and just um, just getting to know them and them getting to know us but believe in God for a great awakening right across our city and our nation. Mm-hmm. And we believe that we're on the edge of that right now. Now, coming from your rough background of swearing and drinking, when the Lord called you to ministry, how did you respond to that? Did you think, oh, no way, I mean, coming from my background, but how did you respond? Well, let me tell you just a very short, funny story. Um, I, I knew God was calling me, and I was quite passionate about following the call of God whether it meant I got out of business and sold everything and went wherever. And so I was uh, building a a brick fence for a friend of mine on Mm -hmm. a Saturday, and I just became so completely overwhelmed by this desire that I needed and wanted to serve God that I rang my wife and I said, Susan, you need to come and see me on this building site. And so she drove over, and when she walked up to me, I just absolutely burst in tears I said, I don't know what to do. I don't want to keep doing this because I believe God's called me and I want to follow the call of God, but I don't know what I need to do. And I just cried like a big baby. How did she respond? She didn't know what to do. She had no, just no idea what to do with me. We actually talked to our Salvation Army officer about the possibility of of, uh, going to maybe New Guinea or somewhere as, as missionaries. 
but that door just never seemed to open. I was invited by a friend to move to Brisbane and be um, co-pastor in a church with him. Um, but again, God just slammed that door shut in our face. He wanted to take a number of years to train me before he let us loose out there into uh, the kingdom of God. And I'm grateful he did because I learned so much in those next uh, number of years about how to love people unconditionally the way Jesus does. And your wife, Susan, is also involved in ministry? Oh, yes. My wife is a co-pastor of uh, Coastwide Church with me. Yes, absolutely. So it's something you've been doing together for several years. Yes, yes. And, I, and again, I'm so grateful to the goodness of God. We both got born again at the same time, and we've both grown together and uh, minister together now all of these years um, as a husband and wife, and, and I'm so grateful to God for that. And finally, whatever happened to the young man who was witnessing to you about Jesus all those years ago? Well, I, he ended up moving town, and so we really didn't see much of him, but we, we actually connected with his parents who were praying very, very much for us, and uh, they became uh, really a couple who discipled us in our very early stages of our walk with God. And um, so we're very, very grateful to them. They're, they're actually, they actually moved uh, city after a period of time. They started a church, and, and they're the couple that uh, uh, actually asked us if we could come and be co-workers, co-pastors. Oh, wow in the church with them, but uh, but again, it just never, the opportunity just never really arose. So you went from harassing their son to being <laughs> invited to be co-pastors, is that right? Yes, yes, it, it's true. Uh, just uh, Some people say God works in mysterious ways. I was just well, thinking that, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether it's mysterious ways, but he certainly has a plan, and yes, that was that was quite intriguing that how that happened. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with us today. Well, thank you, Eric. I'm just truly honored that you would ask me to do so. Thank you, sir. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Pastor Shane Cunningham. And as we heard, he and his wife, Susan, are the senior pastors of Coastwide Church on the Gold Coast. They've also travelled extensively to many nations, including South Africa, Slovakia, India and the Philippines, conducting conferences and training pastors and leaders. To find out more, their church website is coastwidechurch.com. Once again, that's coastwidechurch.com. And what a remarkable transformation has taken place in Shane's life. He's gone from getting incredibly angry when he heard the name of Jesus to spreading the good news of Jesus all over the world. It's fantastic to hear. Shane says he loves the verse in Romans chapter 2 that says, The goodness of God leads to repentance. And that was certainly been the case in his life. God graciously stopped him from killing his co-worker and just kept on being good to him until he finally surrendered. But if you'd like to be redeemed as well and have your life turned completely around, we'd love to pray with you about giving your life to Christ like Shane did. Our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray for you. On that number again, one 800 772-936. Thanks for joining us for Pastor Shane Cunningham's remarkable story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I was grabbed from behind by a police officer and I was arrested and I was put into a cell for a little bit. I was released and then 
When I got home, uh, I walked into a house that I was still welcome in, and my dad actually took off his clerical collar and put it on the table and just said, Tim, I'm with you in this as your dad. When Tim Lovell was a pastor, his job description read like any other pastor, but it also included a few things out of the ordinary, like lifeguarding, teaching swimming lessons and pastoring rock musicians. This was because over the years, Tim had developed a unique approach to ministry, largely inspired by his father. We'll hear Tim's story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.